Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Draft live stream here on Tuesday, March 29th. I'm Mike Tanier. With me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Klassen. How are you doing, Derek? Not so bad. I actually got some rain in the Central Valley the other day, so can't really complain. Is that good news? You in drought conditions there? Uh, the Central Valley is permanently drought conditions, basically, okay. so any any kind of rain is, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. We had, we had a snow squall here in Greater Philly yesterday. That was uh, disturbing. And we also have a special guest with us today, Natalie Miller of NFL Draft Wire. Welcome. Hi, thank you. It's great to have you. You are the first person to have more geek swag behind you. <laughs> yeah, we got the Master Chief helmet, Blade Runner, Wonder Woman, Godzilla. We're, we're set. You yeah, are good. set. You are set. You have you have Adventure Time and a Starenko X Men topped, which is uh, which is hard to do. Excellent work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and just a reminder, everyone, that Football Outsiders NFL Draft coverage is presented by Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code FO40. That's FO40. The digits at Underdog to double your deposit up to one hundred dollars. Links to Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video below. Go play with us on Underdog today. Today we will be talking about the quarterbacks in the NFL dra- NFL draft class. But before we do that, you know, we 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 try to stay topical here. We try to try to stay atop the news and the major issues of our time. And our, our first question before we talk about the quarterbacks of the 2022 draft class is an important issue that obviously came up on Sunday night in after the Oscars, and that is if you we're going to pull it up here. If you were to slap someone in public, on national television, et cetera, for something draft-related, what would it be? So I'm going to start with uh, start with you, Derek. If you could publicly slap someone in the face over something draft-related, what would it be? So I saw a prompt very similar to this, like this, on uh, on Twitter yesterday, and I said Seth Galina, who, by the way, very good friend with Seth. I love Seth. Yeah. However... Because because this is now a very draft related thing, I feel like it makes even more sense to slap him for the Herbert takes, where he okay. just like straight up said that Justin Herbert couldn't play. Which, to be fair, nobody loved Herbert really, but right. he has now become the Herbert guy. So I, I feel like he he deserves a, a pop for that one. <laughs> so you, you made it very personal. You go right after. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Excellent, excellent. What about you, Natalie? Um, it's it's fairly recent but i mean trading away a draft hall for sam or for sam darnold darnold is not exactly <laughs> ideal and matt rule has a very slappable face at times so it's not a bad idea he, i was talking last week about how handsome matt rule looked in one of our pictures it was a fluke it was like one of those pictures where i look really young for example sure. but but he does look somewhat slappable doesn't he Especially with the blue polo, I don't, I don't get that. Yep. <laughs> the pictures of him from the um, winter meetings, where he's kind of slumped sideways and his shoulders are forward, it's like, dude, it's March. You shouldn't be this tense. But... <laughs> so, 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 Natalie, you made it personal as well. Sure. Um, Joey Suck seems to want to s- slap John Schneider. Uh, John Schneider, the general manager of the Seahawks, over LJ Collier. I get that. There's a lot of things you could slap John Schneider about. I'm not making it personal here. But I'm going to slap anyone in the face who leaks Wonderlick scores. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> now, it's a little out of date. Underlick's, Wonderlick's kind of gone. It's not really being used anymore. But anything you do where you leak some insider thing, fake intelligence type thing, where you, you know you're doing it, where you know you're disrespecting an individual based on something that's not valid, 
when you know there are racial semiotics to what you're doing by putting this information out there that you're almost certainly ripping a quarterback of color 99% of the time. Came when out thinking I was that, lazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. That when you do that, I will Will Smith you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good principle to have, I feel like. Uh, Luke Easterling, by the way, has joined us in the chat, by the way. And Luke says, Matt Rule's best moment was slamming two takeaway boxes full of hot wings at Veets after midnight. Luke knows what a lot of us know. You could not not see Matt Rule in uh, Mobile two years ago. You turned around and he was there. It was like a ghost in an anime. Like you turned around and Matt Rule was behind you. Whether he was, it was following you like the Slender Man. He was following you like the Slender Man. But only from bar to bar. He was always in Vs. He was always at, I believe it's called the Battle Bridge. Uh, you turned around and, and Matt Rule was there. Only Bruce Arians uh, was more ubiquitous. And I think Ted Thompson probably makes that list too in the Night Owls back then. But uh, but I did. I don't remember the Hot Wings, Luke. Thank you. And Todd Singer asks, asks, how does the hand size of Will Smith compare to uh, Kenny Pickett? That's got to be a bigger than eight and a half inch hand. Is, do you guys agree? I mean, I would figure most people. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean he can rip a football? I mean, uh, I mean, I feel like he, I feel like he could, you know, we got to see it. Yeah, he, I'm guessing he can. I'm guessing Will Smith, especially younger, could throw football pretty well. And he looks like he's got – he's a, he's a built dude. I think those are very big hands. I think they're better hands than Kenny Pickett. Um, <laughs> and only – maybe we'll have to do like a uh, a Chris Rock, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of triage on his face to find out. <laughs> I'll type up a, a scouting report on Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was it like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you have to like find the thing? Like you'll you'll find the imprints on uh on Chris Rock's face, and we can we can reverse engineer Will Smith's hand size. The real useful title says, "I would like to smack the person who decided to draft Marcus Smith over Mark Demarcus Lowes, Howie Chip, Random Scout, whoever." I think that was a Howie. I believe that was one of Howie Roseman's big swing and a misses in the draft. Was Marcus, Marcus Smith a really bad Louisville linebacker? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to rack my brain for that one for a second. Yes, he was. He was kind of sold as an edge rusher and couldn't play the edge. Yeah. Uh, there was another Smith in that draft class who was really strong. I, I, looking it up now would be too far off the beam. But I that might have been the Zadarius Smith class, honestly. Oh, my goodness. Maybe. Yeah. But I had an operating theory that the Eagles got mixed up. I think also they got leapfrogged in the draft that year. I think so. Somebody went up and got Brandon Cooks, I believe, and the Eagles were, like, earmarking him. And it's one of those classic cases you hear about five years later. Oh, we weren't ready, so we went out and did something. That's what the Browns did with Brandon Whedon. Mm -hmm. They were leapfrogged in the draft and caught off guard and said, we have no choice but a 28-year-old quarterback. We have no choice. That can never be the last choice. Uh, there's no way. <laughs> so – Speaking of poorly laid plans, and again, we are going to get back into the, the quarterbacks a little bit, but this is part and parcel with the draft 2022 quarterbacks. Natalie, you're kind of embedded, for better or worse, with the Carolina Panthers. So it seems. I, I My heart goes out to you. Um, but you were embedded throughout the Deshaun Watson journey. Walk me through that a little bit. Tell, tell me a little bit what that couple weeks, months, years of your life was like. Man, so I had gotten sort of some information during the owners meeting when it dropped that 
Tepper had gone into the owners meeting and essentially felt like he was going to get Deshaun Watson. Like that was the plan. Mm -hmm. And he had talked to, I, I guess the Texans owner about it. And he said, here's a draft hall. Here's three first round picks. Here's a player. I don't know who the player was, but Deshaun just kind of told them no because he wanted to go to Miami and they didn't really have a fallback plan through that. So mm -hmm. then they they put out a press release that said, hey, what do you think about Deshaun Watson? And the poll came back like super negative. So they had like, I think it was Joe Person released a press release that says, no, we're not interested in Deshaun Watson at all. And then he becomes available again and they put the same package package together and they're like, Oh, now we have to compete against the Saints and the Falcons. And right. it was kind of a nightmare PR scenario and a prospect scenario. Cause you don't, the fact that they weren't willing to give him the contract guarantees, but go through all of that makes no sense to me. The whole situation doesn't. Right. And that was a weird part. I, you were one of the first per people I see to report that they what like, it became a contract extension situation. So it wasn't, no, Carolina is not a cool enough city for me. I don't mm -hmm. like rule. It was it was money, and that's where they bought. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You already put your PR situation like in the hole. So why? why I get why you wouldn't, but like, it just seems like a lot to avoid for Deshaun Watson. Right. I'm trying to like. Was it this is our excuse to back away, or was it just? No, I don't think so. I really do Even think it was just we can't guarantee this money. That's eh, all it is. Which seems insane because, like, pursuing Deshaun Watson at any rate is obviously like very weird and and whatever. But like, you would figure it's a in for a penny, in for a pound situation. Like, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And Carolina was like, ah, we're good. We don't want to pay the money. It's like, well, then why ask if you're not going to be willing to pay the money? He was a top five quarterback beforehand. You know he's going to ask for like an unholy amount of money. Yeah. I don't think any of the teams, um, obviously, except Cleveland, was willing to do that. And I, I'm guessing they got looks at the owners' meeting because that's kind of resetting the whole market for quarterbacks and giving them a whole new leverage. Like, hey, give me a fully guaranteed $250 million contract or I want to go play for the Lions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, because it is weird because no one else was going to give him that. Mm -hmm. So if you, call his, I, if you call his bluff and you're the Browns, then I guess he, he does go probably to New Orleans or Atlanta at that point. Atlanta, yeah. And, um, and it's super weird that he he like called Atlanta. He's like, hey, I want to meet with the owners and I want to be on uh, the Atlanta Falcons. And then, oh, you're not going to guarantee me money. I guess I'll be a Brown. Like, you're getting a real – if you didn't have a real sense of who this guy is before, <laughs> you're getting kind of a real sense of like sort of how full of crap he is. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, but that's a little, I mean, that's going to be our, that's going to be our lives. That was your life for like three weeks or a year. Cause it was like a year. Yeah. For a year. Um, it's all, it's all of our lives until, you know, there is a verdict or a suspension, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have to, we have to deal with that. Since then, in my opinion, the Panthers have done a decent job with the rest of their roster pivoting from that. Now, I like your take on that now. I love their free agent signings. Like the, the number one need was go address the offensive line. So they got Bozeman and they got the guard from uh, the Rams. They've made some really good underrated signings that, and they're all on one, two, one to two year deals. So they're not like super committed and they can sort of build draft capital and just build the roster around whatever quarterback they fall into. And I kind of think it'll be Jimmy G, but I, I just know Sam Darnold's not going to be the week one starter. Is there, because the 49ers are broadcasting loud and clear, there's no movement on the Jimmy G front. Right. Is that the impression you've got as well? 
yeah, there's just no leverage. Like there's there's no reason for a team to trade for him because they're not going to keep Jimmy on the roster for what twenty six million dollars. Right. Just, they're either going to cut him loose or send him to somebody for a fifth, sixth round pick. And Carolina, I think, is going to take a tackle in the top ten, and they're say, okay, let's go get Jimmy G or Baker Mayfield. Oh God. Are you are you muted there, Derek? Sorry, I was. Yeah. Um, I mean, on the leverage thing, like, what other teams was Jimmy going to go to at this point? Anyway, like, every seat in the musical chairs has been filled, basically, at this point. I mean, even the Saints just signed Jameis Winston. Um, Seattle, truthfully, is probably not going to sign Jimmy G. I mean, he probably wouldn't get moved in the division anyway. Right. Like, I don't know what – and you still have to think about the fact that, like, Baker Mayfield still might get moved somewhere. So, like, Jimmy really just the, – the Niners don't really have any leverage to move him anywhere, To like, to your point. Right. And by the way, Joey Suck said, you know, the carrot, carrot Panthers front office is like some kind of Brewster's millions level of hijinks going on where they have to spend the money. I disagree. That's kind of like the Jaguars thing. Of course, that's what the Jaguars thing always is, where you have to spend the money. I, I don't know. I'm kind of with you. The Panthers seem like they, when you get Bozeman at center, when you re-up, uh, they re-up DJ Moore, right? Yep. Three years. Yeah. Like those are good moves to sort of feather the nest, whether it's for Jimmy G or some combination of Jimmy G and a rookie, or it's just a rookie and, a, and Sam Darnold. Yeah. They, I know they like Kenny Pickett, but I don't, I don't think they're going to draft a rookie. I think all of that's just noise to go get um, one of the offensive tackles. Probably they prefer Icky or Evan Neal. And there's a chance now those guys drop. Um, yeah, I think so. I think right. so, especially if Lions go quarterback at two. Right. Right. Which I think is what we're headed. And that's segueing us anyway, into what we came to talk about today. 2022 quarterback draft prospects such as they are. And before we do it, I will ask you one other thing. I know Derek is kind of eh, on this year's. Is that fair, Derek, on this year's class? Yeah, there's probably only one of them I would take in the first round. And even then, he would have been like quarterback four for me last year. So right. I'm kind of eh. Chad Reuter was on a couple weeks ago, and he was kind of eh. And that's my Chad Reuter impersonation. Chad, I hope you're watching. <laughs> Natalie, where are you on this crop of quarterbacks? I like this crop of quarterbacks. I'm, I'm not on the train that they're just like not worth first round picks. Uh, there's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no Zach Wilson. But like, I think Kenny Pickett is as good as like a Justin Fields was last year. I know I'm going to hit flame for that. But like, right. you could take a Malik Willis and a Kenny Pickett, and even Matt Corral in the first round. And I think they could come in and start. Well, maybe not Willis. He'll need some time, but everybody else can start and they'll win games. All right. Well, we're gonna. That's what we're gonna talk about here. We're gonna argue some of these points a little bit. What I asked everybody to do is rank the six most consensus top picks, uh, one to six. I asked everybody to do that, and then I asked everybody also to provide a fit. I didn't put any parameters on that. Just provide a fit. We can talk about the fits, and we're gonna do a little count up from six to one in terms of the most well-known, talked-about quarterbacks this class no no uh no LRB this time uh no the young man from Brown did not make the cut Zappy did not make the cut but here's who makes the cut coming up first number six on our countdown is Nevada quarterback Carson Strong uh this is a guy pocket passer big arm was in the uh yeah you know, was at the senior bowl etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and I'm gonna start and we all we all oh, oh no I ranked him fifth uh, I forgot where I ranked him. Excellent. Interesting. Now I forget where I ranked him. <laughs> we have two best fits for the Colts. We have me going with the Buccaneers. I'll just start by saying the Buccaneers was me saying, oh, in the sixth or seventh round, put this guy with Bruce Arians behind Brady and let him throw bombs and see if that excites uh, Arians. But 
I'm going to throw it out here. What happened to Strong? He seemed like somebody who might have gotten that high buzz entering this offseason. And what, what has happened to his draft stock in the last few months? I mean, I think it's two things. I think one, well, I, I guess three things. One, he can't move. Like, he just is not mobile, especially when you compare him to these other crop of guys. I mean, the least mobile of the rest of the crop that we have is, like, I mean, probably Kenny Pickett. And, like, even he is still, like, a plenty good enough athlete for the position. Yeah. So, I think Strong is just way, way below his uh, competition in that regard. Um, he also has, like, a bunch of knee issues. I think he's, he sore his uh, knee multiple times. So, that's obviously going to be a concern, like, a long-term concern that right. teams are looking for. I also think, truthfully, teams are realizing his arm is, like, not that good. Um, like, he can get distance on the ball. Um but I don't think his velocity is, is is quite as impressive as teams probably thought it was early on. Right. I, I was like, oh, Carson Strong, cannon arm, cannon arm. I, I kept watching the, the 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 tape and the film and then in Mobile saying where, when. It feels a lot like when people said that like Tom Savage had a really <laughs> strong arm back in the day where it's like, ah, he can like kind of throw the ball far and it spins nice, but like it's not really moving very fast. Right. He, th- he throws deep a lot, which is different from being like incredibly great, better, different from being Josh Allen. Yeah. Natalie, your thoughts? I just don't think he has, like, like you said, it's lack of mobility. And that doesn't extend to him like running outside the pocket. If he faces pressure, there's like no plan B. It's either the ball is out or you're sacked. There's And, and he locks on his receivers so much. It's like you have to wait for them to get open, throw a pick or take a sack. You know, there's no plan B. There's no mobility. He moves like Philip Rivers at the back end of his career. Ooh. So there's zero upside. The I mean, he's super accurate. He's very, very accurate. I think he's one of the most accurate passers in the class. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you have to go off of. One of the things I, I heard is like, well, the knee is better now. And I've also heard, no, it's not recurring knee injuries. It's not like chronic knee injuries. Well, there was a knee injury in high school. Then there was another knee injury. Like, it's chronic at that point. So, like, I don't know where this scrambling or mobile, not scrambling, but mobile version of Carson Strong is going to be. And if he's not going to move, he's going to get hit. Right. Like, that's just the reality. Like, if he's not going to move, he's going to get hit. It's going to be like, like, honestly, Carson Wentz is obviously like a mobile player when he decides to run. But he's very much like he'll stick in the pocket to a detriment, like for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, with almost this like object permanence for pass rushers, Carson Strong is probably going to have the same issue. <laughs> it's it's like a cat. He looks yeah. away and the pass rusher disappears. <laughs> like, um, oh, I can't see it. Have, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I love I, that's that's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Both of you have the Colts as the fit, and is that just grab grab a quarterback of the future who looks physically like Matt Ryan? Like what what's what's the reasoning there? Good offensive line, mostly. I, I think he fits their offense, too. He can just stand in the pocket and deliver the football, and you don't have to worry too much about pressure. Um, they need a backup quarterback, and I think that's what he is. Yeah, I think it's that, and I think if he you know, he operates fairly well on time, and I think he's accurate, and I think in a Frank Reich offense, mm-hmm. those are kind of some of the most important traits. So I don't know if he would ever like develop into a real-deal starter, but if he could be a decent backup for however long Matt Ryan is there, that's a win. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, CCX3 mentions, heard the knee is bad enough it could cause him to be considered undraftable or fall, depending on medicals. What I haven't heard is a medical. I haven't heard that whispery rumor that comes out like during the combine, after the combine. So if something comes this late, it's almost like, well, where did the, where did that come from? I mean, teams will do some medicals on him. So I don't, I don't know where we land on that. It's just a matter of, like, 
it's the knee and then projecting, well, even if the knee is 100% cherry, what kind of guy do you have? What kind of quarterback do you have? So that's that's where we stand on Carson. By the way, CCX3 says Mike is channeling Arians. Uh, yeah, for, um, folks at Edge Sports, get, get me that picture. Put that picture in my Slack uh, so I can put it on my uh, Christmas cards next year and I can like make a big uh, uh, fat head of it and have it over my bed for my wife to look at. That's TMI. Um, but I think we really should have all gone with X-Men characters um, in honor of Natalie having Jubilee up there right now. I, w- I would probably have a good Magneto, I think, would be a, a yeah. perfect one for me. Derek, I don't know if you have a X character. I, I don't think I'm familiar enough. So <laughs> Nightcrawler. You got some Nightcrawler going on. Okay, little, I'll take it. Nightcrawler, you're, you're blue then, but just go with it. Just go with it. Number five on our count up of the 2022 draft prospects is University of North Carolina dual threat. Sam Howell. Now, I believe both of you had him fifth, and I had him sixth. I was just watching uh, a little bit of him against Florida State before we came on. And uh, Natalie, you wrote about Sam Howell, I believe, for DraftWire this week. Is that correct? That's right. Just yesterday, I think. Excellent. Uh, give us give us the rundown on what you saw. Uh, I like his arm. I think he has a very live arm like when he's on the move he gets it out quick it's a snap release but when he's in the pocket it's a little bit longer he's got good mobility it's a tight build i hate the comparison because it's made so much but baker mayfield seems like where he's at um he he his pass tape like was really good and once the nfl talent left it fell off pretty tremendously especially Mm -hmm. against like virginia tech this year it's 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 a rough watch but i think he has a potential to be a starter in the league, but I don't know that you draft him as one to put him in right away. Now, this would be Baker Mayfield who can run because Hal's a pretty... Hal, Hal's an excellent runner, yeah. He was asked to do it a lot this year because like, he had limited options, and he really did take advantage of it. He's a skilled runner. Right. In fact, I, I wrote for a walkthrough on Monday at Football Outsiders. He led the league in quarterback draws, led the nation yeah. in quarterback draws. And... To a, to my thing, to a detriment, uh, like, like where so much of his tape is snap and maybe look, sometimes it looks like he's looking for his primary. Sometimes that might just be a freeze maneuver and then take off. Now he's, he's not, he's not exactly Cam Newton, but, the, but Al can definitely run. Yeah. His run style is similar to Baker, but he's, he's the better runner. Right. Right. Derek, your thoughts. Um. Howell is fine. Truthfully, I haven't seen as much of the 2021 tape, but based on the 2020 tape, it was like his deep ball is really nice. Um, I think he generally throws a tight spiral. I think to Natalie's point too, like outside the pocket, his mechanics look very nice. Inside the pocket, they're terrible because to me, his feet are really bad. And this is actually why you'll see a lot of quarterbacks get better or cleaner when they're throwing outside the pocket on the move is because your feet are out of the equation now. Like you're just jumping off one foot and you're throwing, right? So like your feet don't matter anymore. They're not tied to anything. Your hips aren't tied to anything. When you're in the pocket, your hips are tied to your feet and you're screwed if your feet are bad. That's kind of the problem that Howell has. I don't know how much he's going to fix it because I think it's pretty bad, but I think he generally like plays to what the system wants very well. His deep ball is good. He can run. Um, He's actually really tough. Like he's very willing to take hits, whether that's as a runner or in the pocket. Um, I just kind of had some issues with like, you know, I don't think he handles third down very well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some of his tight window stuff was like pretty iffy. So I think just because of the tools, like, you know, his deep ball and his running, he's like worth a mid round gamble. I'm just not entirely sold that he can be like the guy for anyone. Yeah. He, he finished second in the nation in sacks. He got yeah. took a lot of sacks. He does have a nice deep ball, but it does. Sometimes it's just, it's just 50, 50 stuff. 
and it's very accurate, but it's kind of getting launched in there. Um, and, and when he's not running and when he's not running all those draws, I mean, we keep circling back to Carson Wentz. I know I have Carson Wentz on the brain, <laughs> but there's a lot of, he is in that pocket. And if he doesn't take the sack, that ball comes out is either sadness or euphoria. It's a, it's a Billy Joel ball. And, you know, I, and for the highlight reel is a highlight reel, but the low light reel put me in this holy cow. I don't want to go within a hundred miles of this young man in a draft yeah. because I, I factor in, it's like, Oh, well, he throws those deep balls and everything. If you're running the draw that many off that often, and your, your offense is so built around that. What else can you do now? In fairness, I did not look back at 2020 and Natalie, that's something you looked at a little bit more. Yeah. His 2020 tape is good. Like, it's it's a way worse this year and, and that is a talent thing because i think like you said those 50 50 balls are a lot more catchable when you have good receivers catching them yeah. and it there wasn't such a reliance on the quarterback draws and he was able to sort of take his time it it's it's really a tale of two different tapes yeah one of the things we do at football outsiders we have a thing called q base and it's leery when the quarterback takes that senior dip okay yeah. but it, you know, it's, it's leery. And when we say, well, this guy left, this guy left, and Emmy Brown leaves, et cetera, et cetera. It's still like, oh, you know, like like you are you should be progressing, and there's a sign that you didn't. Yeah. Talent um, shouldn't play that much of a key, and, and you should be able to carry your offense regardless of the guys. Right, right. Now, now, now Natalie, you had Sam Howe going to the Giants. What's your thought there? I think he can compete with Daniel Jones. I think they want Daniel Jones to be the starter, but if, if yes. Daniel gets injured or anything, Sam could be a good spot starter because you can sort of design, design the offense to run through him with the quarterback draws, and he's not going to be a super detriment to your team if you have to play him for two to three games, and he can yeah. maybe develop down the line. So if Daniel doesn't work out, then you say, hey, we have Sam Howell. Okay. Okay. And Derek, this is not Lions quarterback of the future stuff, is it, or is it? <clears throat> I mean, you just take like a mid-round gamble, I think, at this point, because I don't think the roster is ready for a young quarterback, which is why I don't really think they should take one at two, even though it seems like they're going to. Right. Um, I think it's just, you know, Goff can be fine enough for next year. You take a gamble. If Hal sucks, who cares? And if he's decent, then you can give him a go and you can give him reps because it's not like, you know, Jared Goff needs to win games or whatever. So I think it's just kind of like a mid-round gamble situation. Yeah, and I have like a mid-round, late-round gamble for a team that like exploits the mobility of its quarterback in Kyler Murray and is going to run stuff that if Hal really is somebody, well, he's going to work best in a system that's very option-heavy or something like that, he could fit with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Tim Torch asked, I know we touched on this a moment ago, and Natalie, you touched on this. There are a lot of comparisons to Baker Mayfield. Do you all agree? Natalie, you said you kind of agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, Baker was a better prospect. He had the tighter release, especially in the pocket. He was a much better pocket passer. Hal is not near Baker's level in the pocket, but outside of the pocket and their movement skills and the way they throw the ball down the field, I think it's very similar, especially with their compact size. They're very built similar, for sure. Right. You know, now that you kind of talked through the Daniel Jones comparison, I kind of don't hate comparing that to him. I think they're very similar runners. They're both like tough, long striders um they're both like built fairly well they have good deep balls despite like truthfully not that good of arms um it's more just like they know how to place it type of deal um they're both very tough and both kind of prone to playing late even if they're not necessarily at the wrong spot so that kind of might be my comparison now that i've you know thought about it now that you've brought it up that close-up of his face he looks a little like baker (laughs) you can see him walking around the empty stadium in the commercial if you look at that face so that might be 
uh, what we're what we're really dealing with here. And Joey Suck says, I really like the idea of replacing a Duke quarterback, Daniel Jones, with someone from UNC. The story ends with Philip Rivers coming out of retirement, and we get an NC State quarterback. <laughs> or we get Russell Wilson. He was an NC State quarterback, and we complete the research triangle, and the Giants become one of the strongest teams in the NBA. Um, thanks. Welcome aboard, Tim. Glad, thanks for joining us. Um, let's move on to number four. And I don't remember who we put at number four, so I am reaching for the script. Oh, a controversial choice at number four, because this would be Cincinnati's starting quarterback, Desmond Ritter. And I believe it's a controversial choice because we are all over the board on our evaluations of Ritter. Okay. In that he is Derek's number one quarterback on the board. Natalie's number four quarterback on the board. And as you can see, I'm being the peacemaker. Consensus <laughs> by just sticking him at uh, number three. Derek, you you put uh, Ritter number one. I know you have ri- you're writing about him for film room at Football Outsiders this week. Is that correct? This week, right? It'll be out um, tomorrow. So I'll finish that up today. Yeah. Yeah. So probably by the time many of you are uh, ingesting this podcast, it will be up. Football Outsiders look for Derek's film room on, De- on Desmond Ritter. Give us a preview. So I think right now he is the best quarterback, and it's not even remotely close. Mm. Um, just in terms of like what they are right now, I think. So part of it for me is like if you watch Cincinnati's offense, it's a very pro offense. Like yeah. not everything they run is a pro concept. They have RPOs. Um, you know, they, they have some of that just like anybody else. But that's not like the entirety of the offense. And they have a lot of um, legitimate pro concepts, whether it's, you know, sale, um, drive, uh, just anything like that. So I think the fact that he plays in an offense that is asking him to be a professional and he's handling it with the timing, the rhythm that he is, um, I think he plays – like within the rhythm of an offense better than anybody in this class. Um, I think his pocket movement is really good. Um, He's a fantastic athlete. Truthfully, he doesn't use it the way that he should. I would like to see him play more outside the pocket um, and break structure a little bit more just because he he is a really good athlete and he functions well outside the pocket. Um, To me, some of the issues with him are just like his arm is fine. Um, It's like right around the, the threshold, maybe a little bit better. Some of that I think is a mechanical issue. Um, and then he just like sprays sometimes like he just has really odd misses I think a lot of it to me is like a his front foot gets really tight so his hips Mm. get weird and he just misses but I don't know I think just in terms of like shoulders up quarterbacking he's the best and it's not close and I tend to gravitate towards those kind of guys the the misses come a lot of times it's like the sideline pass miss where it's almost like he didn't get the body turned around and then it's like a wild pitch when that happens and a lot of it's early in the game too. Like I feel like he just has like a, he almost just like has to get into the flow of the game. Like I don't know what it is, but it seems like he has a lot more of those in the first half than he does when he's trying to win a game in the fourth quarter. That type of deal. Okay, Natalie, your Desmond Ritter thoughts? I think he's the the first quarterback that is below this line where you would take this guy in the second round and say, oh hey, he can start in the NFL. Like I think he can start in the NFL. I just don't have him as highly as the rest of the guys. I don't have him as a first-round pick or anything. Mm-hmm. I think he's a very experienced quarterback. I think he did a lot of good things with Cincinnati. I like his his talent. I like his mobility a lot. Like I think he's really good in like running the football. I think right. you could game plan some RPO around him. Um, 
the only things I really don't care for is like we touched on his arm isn't the best. I think right. he struggles with outside the numbers throws pretty consistently. Yeah. And he has a longer weird windup when he's trying to like fit it into the deep windows. It just mm. it messes up the timing. Like you said, it's more early game, but it definitely sticks out on tape. And I think it's a little bit of a concern, especially as far as like ceilings go. I don't think he has the highest ceiling. Yeah, I, I don't trust his ceiling either. The receiver is Pierce, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, really a lot of – He's good. He's really good, and you're, you're finding him on those deep passes, and it's great. And a lot of times he's making a play for Ritter, and that's excellent, but it doesn't speak to Ritter being this great deep passer. Um, yeah, I, one of the problems I have with Ritter is that I, I, I watched two full games of Ritter this morning to try and get back into them, and they evaporate from my memory when I watch them. It's not, it's not that he's bad in any way. Um, and sometimes guys stick with me because of the lasting impression of – oh, he keeps running the draw play or something like that. You're like, no, you're right. He's running an NFL offense. It's like, it just, I keep looking for that, that, that hook. Like, oh, he doesn't, is- he doesn't do anything that is like, he doesn't do things that are fun to watch on broadcast. He does things that are fun to watch on film. You know what I mean? Whereas like, truthfully, yeah. Dak Prescott is a lot like this. He doesn't really do anything that's that fun on broadcast. Yeah. You watch him on the all 22 and you're like, oh my God, he's like cycling through everything. He's like, right. everything's on time, all this jazz. Josh Allen's the opposite. Josh Allen broadcasts wonderful. If you watch the All-22, you're like, oh, my God, I don't even understand how he got into a good play here because he did four <laughs> things wrong and it just didn't matter. So I think that's kind of part of the thing with Rizzer. It's just like he doesn't do things that are spectacular even if he's doing things that are, like, consistently right. One thing that worried me, and I rewatched the Alabama game, and, of course, I get it, Cincinnati versus Alabama, that the, 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 the program difference even with all of Cincinnati's success, number of batted passes at the line. And batted passes for me often a sign that the opponent, the defense, knows where the ball's going and when it's getting released. And I think Natalie, you talked a little bit about the windup and things like that. When those guys are consistently getting that hand up on time to get that ball, that's that's a, I mean, maybe that's something you clean up at the NFL level, but that's something that, that suggests, okay, that was scripted, you know, you're telegraphing when that ball's getting out, and that can wind up being a problem at the NFL level. What I would say about that is, one, that never really came up in any other game, um, which is good. Uh, I mean, he had, like, a couple, like everybody does. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't, like, this major thing that happened to him all the time. Also, in the Alabama game, I think a lot of those happened on RPOs. And I even tweeted this, like, a week ago. I really don't like that they RPO'd him. um, Because to me, like, RPOs are kind of a crutch where you're, like, streamlining the process for a quarterback. You're like, you need to read this one area. That's all that you're throwing off of. I actually right. think that's like bad for Ritter because he can just like cycle through the entire one, two, three, four, five. It's almost like bad that you're pigeonholing him and just giving him one throw, um, especially when like like we've talked about his mechanics can get kind of wonky. It's almost like a disservice to say like you have to throw here, whereas I think it's better when you give him the full breadth of everything and let him figure it out. Granted, of course, against Alabama, where they're all more talented than you, yeah. that probably doesn't matter. So maybe for that game, it doesn't matter. Right. I just mean it's like a general concept for him. In general, it looked like they were scheming up to protect him, which you understand why, because you don't know if your offensive line is going to hold. And in other games, and I ran the RPO data for the nation, and we'll get to that with our next quarterback, um, it wasn't a high percentage of RPOs. And another thing I noticed was Ritter does not – he runs a lot. It is designed run. He is not a scrambler. He's not escaping the pocket for the sake of escaping the pocket. That's usually a good sign for a young quarterback because that can be a sign that your your entire knowledge of your – college offense was first read run first read run definitely not the case with Ritter 
Now, by the way, Joey Sucks says, Derek, I take it you are trying to will Ritter to Seattle, and I appreciate it, man. Are you trying to will him to I Seattle? would love it. I think it would be great. I think not only would it be good from, like, an actual football perspective, but I just think it would be funny for them to take, like, the most anti-Russell Wilson quarterback possible. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. A little off topic. Luke uh, Easterling asked, tell me why Alec Pierce isn't this year's Chris Godwin. Maybe because Christian Watson is this year's Chris Godwin. Six foot four Debo Samuel. Everybody I don't remember that. Pierce blocking quite like that, but I thought yeah. honestly, in terms of everything else, I can kind of see it. Yeah. This wide receiver class is so deep that I kind of forgot about Pierce and I'm watching him. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this guy was, and he was good in Mobile and he was good everywhere. And, you know, we have a thing called the FO40 and he can't quite crack it because it's like, well, who am I going to take off? You can't take off Christian Watson. He just ran the three cone yesterday in like 0.3 seconds. And, you you know, you can't take off some of these other guys down the, the, the load here. But uh, Watson's not going in the third. That's that's true. God, that's I forgot true. Godwin was late in the draft. I kind of forgot that. Um, long story short, there are about 20 Chris Godwin's <laughs> in this draft. And there's going to be all kind of guys in the third round. And I, I can't get the Watson is Debo thing because I don't see this guy as being a yak guy. No, I don't think that's happening. To me, he's more like MVS. Okay. There we go. 85th overall. It's Chris Godwin. Unbelievable. Um, but we were talking – oh, wait. Let's go back and just finish up real quickly with um, – I just completely blanked. See, Desmond Ritter, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> he disappears from my – Memory now, now, uh, Natalie, you and I both put the Saints uh, uh, up there. This was before we knew the epic decision they made to sign Andy Dalton as their backup and wow. move Taysom Hill to tight end. So the Saints might be set at quarterback right now for the next four months until the start of camp. What was your rationale, but for putting Desmond Ritter there? I think he's good at timing throws and he fits that offense pretty well. He's a professional. They have a good roster, so he yeah. can come in, he can start, he can win games. I think he would beat out like Andy Dalton, not Jameis Winston right away. But if Jameis struggles, you could put him in. He's going to fit your offense. You can do a lot of different things with him. And he's he's good with the timing throws. And I think that's very important in that Saints offense. Yeah, that's why I kind of thought like uh, he can sort of do a Drew Brees-ish, mm-hmm. you know, thing, you know, with all the caveats involved there. And it made sense at the time. He can, he can beat Ian Book, I think, for the number three job. I think. I think so. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let us move on to the number three quarterback on our count up of the 2022 draft quarterbacks. Commander RPO himself. The pride of the Ole Miss Rebels. Matt Corral. I wrote about Matt Corral uh, for a walkthrough this week. I, I, I broke down the RPO figures for all of the quarterbacks in the nation. And Derek just spoke about this a little bit. We'll talk about this a little bit more. Corral, uh, pick, uh, you know, throw for throw was the most RPO-dependent quarterback in the nation. There are guys who threw more of them, but Corral threw more as a percentage of his passes than any human in the history of mankind. More than Nick Foles when he took over uh, for uh, Carson Wentz in 2017. More than Tua Tunga Viola last year. Matt Corral is the RPO champion. We have him at fourth. Derek has him at fourth. I have him at fourth. Natalie, you have him at third. I think you are higher on Matt Corral than we are, so you get the start. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, you're right about the RPO. He's, his, this whole film is just RPO pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, that plays to his strength, which is his like lightning quick release. Like he makes the read, he slips it in. There. He has super confidence in his arm that he's going to get that throw in there. And he's smart. He makes good decisions. He's that release. That release is something. It's the fastest in the class. He, he's accurate with it. And I think he can be developed beyond the RPO. Like he can be kind of a a gun quarterback. He doesn't need to rely on it. I mean, right away he probably will be, but you can develop him. I think that release is something to play with and his confidence. It, you can tell on tape, he has a lot of confidence in his game and his, his teammates pick up on that. And I think that's something that you have to value. And so I'm sticking with you in here, Natalie, because you have him fitting the Lions. Do you have him penciled in as quarterback of the future material for that team? I do. Uh, I think you could get him at the, their last first round pick, and I think you could say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna roll with Matt Corral." I think he'll start over Jared Goff too. Derek, I I'm kind of on the opposite end with Corral. Like, truthfully, he might only be as high as four for me because I haven't seen Howell and Strong as closely. Mm-hmm. Um, Corral to me is like basically everything I said about Ritter. I feel the opposite way with Corral, where it's not a pro offense and that like bugs me. Like I just don't feel comfortable projecting guys out of that type of offense. Um, mm-hmm. very RPO heavy. Um, and it's not just that it was super RPO heavy. It's that when it wasn't like when he was having to be more traditional, um, drop back concept, I don't think he looked nearly as, um, quick to process or nearly as accurate. Um, like, I think to me, it's a lot easier to be accurate when you are throwing the same glance route 20 times in a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, I don't know, I just kind of have a lot of issues about, like, what he's going to to be able to do in terms of the offense. Um, I, it's really hard to, like, gauge to me how how smart he is and how much he's going to be able to pick up an NFL offense. And then the other concern I have with him is he's very skinny. Like, I think he, you know, weighed in at the combine at, like, 210 or something, which is, like, good. If he can play at that, that's great. I don't think he was. I think he was probably playing at, like, truthfully under 200 at, at Ole Miss maybe, um, probably right on the border. And I don't think that's going to fly for an NFL quarterback, um, especially with the way that he runs. Like, he's going to get himself hurt like he did towards the end of the year. So, I don't know. I just have, like, a lot of uh, reservations about Corral as a prospect. Like, he, he does have a quick release, and he's generally accurate, and his arm is good. Tools-wise, I get it, but I think he's just so far away projection-wise that I don't like that type of prospect. Now, Natalie, talk about his mobility, in your opinion. I, I, he runs. He runs hard. I don't think anybody questions that. Natalie, you think of his mobility as a plus, a minus? I like his mobility. I I, I think it's going to be uh, – um, you have to use his mobility because he's not experienced in reading the offense and he's going to have to go. Right. Um you're going to have to build the RPO around him. So he better be able to run. I think he'll be able to run read option and his mobility is a plus for sure. He's one of the fastest people in the class, fastest quarterbacks in the class. And my problem, one thing I will say, I noticed the quick release and the really, the quick release is evident. And and, and my worry, and I think I wrote about it this week, Natalie is when you watch RPO after RPO, you can go from saying, well, that's a quick release to sort of going like, that's the quickest release I've ever seen because that's kind of what you kind of hang your hat on because it's getting out there so quickly. Sure. Um, you know, I like it. I just, I just need it tied to other attributes that I say, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big plus. That's a big plus. And I keep going back to that. I have a funny feeling that the coaches went back to that over and over again. And that's how we wound up with that RPO heavy system. Yeah. And I think his arm is, is good enough to yeah. take advantage of the quick release. So like I said, he's going to develop to be beyond the RPO. Like yeah. I think out of the shotgun, he can work. I, 
in a pro style system that would take a lot of work i don't think he's ready for that but Mm -hmm. i don't think he's just married to the rpl i think he can succeed outside of it i will say his arm is the best i think outside of willis um so even if i don't like him that much like tools wise the arm is absolutely there um i think the last thing i would say about Crowell and part of why i don't like him they did not let him play ball on third down like they took the ball out of his hands whether it was uh like flare screens uh bubble screens draws which like they could quarterback draw which is technically in his hands but like not as a passer so some people have counter argumented with oh, well, Lane Kiffin just believes in four-down play calling. And my argument, well, if he had a quarterback, he wouldn't. Because <laughs> like, why would you? <laughs> um, so that was kind of, again, one of just, uh, I don't know, it seemed weird their play calling on third down. Um, to me, it just felt like if they had a quarterback they really liked, they would have thrown the ball. I try not to hold play calling and coaching against college quarterbacks. I learned a very valuable lesson with, like, Justin Herbert. I was high on Herbert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That question was there. Like, why yeah. is why are they not giving him the football? Why are they opting to run it on third down? And like, it's it's not Justin Herbert's fault. I don't think it's Matt Crowell's fault either. Right. I'm I'm not so sure. I go back and forth on things like that, especially when I see RPOs and I see designed runs, and then I see the number of times he scrambled. He has a high scramble percentage, and then I see all the flare passes and things like that. And uh, you know, you're left with five, six, seven passes per game where you're like, this is what I'm evaluating. And it gets hard to do. And also, again, it's the SEC. You're facing, you know, your Georgias, Alabamas regularly. You might do some protective stuff that you shouldn't have to do in other conferences with the guy. I just have a hard time projecting him up that far. I, I put him with the Colts. They're like, okay, Frank Reich, they, they, they're they going to need a quarterback of the future. Frank Reich has a lot of RPOs, a lot of that kind of stuff in the system. You know, a, a two-year, you know, long-leash quarterback of the future, they need to do something like that. Um, Derek, was that your – rationale by by preparing with the saints yeah like same deal i mean just quick um fairly accurate in the you know one to 15 yard area if that's all that if that's what a lot of they're going to throw i feel like too the saints have some experience gaming their offense to you know weirder quarterbacks like Taysom hill so i don't think that (laughs) would be a problem for them i think pete carmichael could figure that out so yeah i I don't know if i'd be as confident you know quarterback of the future thing but they have you know james winston already so Corral would have time to try to figure, you know, get his, get his legs under him. Weirder quarterbacks and even weirder tight ends like Taysom Hill. <laughs> the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> the real <laughs> the New Orleans Saints 2021 through 2024 story. Uh, the real useful title I asked, by the way, how's his leg healing up? There were no questions, no issues at Pro Day. Was that correct? Oh, uh, I think he seemed fine, so. Oh, gosh. Patrick Seely says Corral is getting the Chris Sims bump like Wilson did last year. It wasn't just Wilson. I feel like Wilson was already everybody's favorite. I feel like people liked him from the jump. (laughs) Wilson was like a Carson Strong who could run better, but was like uh, go for broke YOLO balls in that weird schedule. I'm sorry. Names escape me. I'm getting older. The Vikings quarterback, backup quarterback, the Cousins last year that they drafted last year that couldn't see the field that they did. Oh, Mond. Kellen Mond. Oh, Kellen Mond. Yeah. Chris Sims, I love you, but Kellen Mond was a binky of binkies of binkies. I have no idea where that came from. The Vikings have no idea where that came from because they stuck Sean Mannion out there when Kirk Cousins was uh, was COVIDing. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Chris Sims bump is, is, is something. But, you know, Chris knows his stuff. Sometimes he, he, he likes a guy. 
et cetera. I think he might like those SEC quarterbacks who it's like, well, yeah, you know, he's so ready because of that conference. And look, if that throw goes this way, goes that way. Um, everyone's coming in with uh, Kellen Mond, who Sim says was better than Jalen Hurts going into last season. Okay. <laughs> I don't even really like Jalen Hurts, and that's insane. <laughs> 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 Natalie, long story short, you're going to be in this for the long haul. You're a younger uh, person entering it. You're going to be wrong 5 million times <laughs> in your career. I've been wrong 6 million times. Uh, go go get that bag like Chris Sims did. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't wrong on Justin Herbert, and I'm going to stick to that forever. There you Excellent. go. You can ride that one. <laughs> yeah, you, you're one step up on Seth Galina. We're calling people out. <laughs> we are calling friends Former co-workers, acquaintances, dudes with famous dads. We are calling them all out here today on the Football Outsiders Draft live stream. And we are also calling out our number two prospect on our count up of quarterback prospects. And I believe I, that I have to look at the thing because I forget who number two was. Willis or was it? Um, uh, it was, in fact, Kenny Pickett. There we go. Now, Probably one of the more scrutinized guys uh, in the draft class needs no introduction. He's been playing in the NCAA since I believe 1997. Um, and we're all kind of probably on the same uh, place with Pickett. Natalie, I'll start with you. Your thoughts. I, I like Pickett a lot. I think he's worthy of a top 20 pick. I, I think he's ready to go. I think he's ready to start. He's super accurate. He's got a live arm, underrated athleticism. You know, he's, 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 he's got a, He's got the whole packet. I mean, the small hands, I don't care about that. I, I I see that in, like, scouting reports. I don't care about that. Yeah, he fumbled early in his career, but, like, last year he fumbled, what, three times? It's not – it's it's fixed. He improved so much, like, since last year. And people call it, like, a one-year leap. But, like, quarterbacks are supposed to progress, and he did. And he made really good throws, really good decisions. And coaching staff trusted him, and he grew. He's a leader, and he's going to be a franchise quarterback, I think legitimately the fact that he I, I do think there's like you do have to take away some of it because it happened so late in his career like it took an eternity for him to do this right. um but i think generally the idea that a player gets better in college is like always a really good trait to me i, I like it, it was part of the reason why i really liked lamar jackson if you watch like lamar jackson as a freshman he had no idea what's going on <laughs> obviously super talented no idea what's going on as a junior, he looked like the most polished quarterback in that class to me. Hmm. And that type of progression was like, oh, my God. Okay, if you can do that, you're probably going to be fine in the pros. You'll figure things out. Um, so I think the fact that Pickett has some of that to him is, is pretty encouraging. Yeah. I I, I don't I, – I worry a little about the hands because I don't see a lot of other big, big plus, plus, plus attributes there. But he's smooth as heck. Yeah. He really is smooth as heck. And that he did the underrated athleticism with the air quotes, which is excellent – um, yeah, he, he, he runs well and he runs judiciously. Uh, they do do some design stuff there. Not a lot. When he scrambles, it's usually because there is a hole that he's going to exploit for a 10, 15 yard game, not because he doesn't know the offense. Um, so those are all positive traits there. I notice, and now that we get to the top of this, we, we, it's no longer like we're playing this guessing game. Um, both of you put, excuse me, Derek and I put the Panthers in. Natalie, our Panthers expert, did not put the Panthers in. Is that a inside knowledge thing or is that a personal preference thing? I, I really do think they're going to go tackle in the class. Okay. I, I think Pickett is their quarterback. If like both the tackles were gone, I do think they would go Pickett. I think they prefer him. 
Mm-hmm. I, I just think he fits the Falcons offense really well. And I think the Falcons do like him. Okay. And he fits their offense. You see him in that sort of like play action pocket type of game. Yeah, his 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 game is pretty similar. He's a more not I don't want to say he's Matt Ryan. He's more mobile and he does things differently, but he has like that kind of play style, sure. Okay. I guess upside. I, I think we're all gonna do the same thing. We're about to do Malik Willis, spoiler alert. We're gonna yeah. be talking about upside, and it's a higher upside, but there's a lower floor, et cetera. Where's Kenny Pickett's upside? I think he has upside. I I mean he's he's he could throw the football well. He's clearly developed well. It's his his floor isn't what he showed last year for sure. I, I don't. He has a Joe Burrow upside. I think. I think he can get to that level of play. Wow, that's I'm high. trying to think of like how high I like what the upside would be. I, I don't know. I, I think in like a very ideal like in a idealistic world, he could be something like Joe Burrow. But I think. The difference to me is that Joe Burrow coming out of college, even though he wasn't the most like physically gifted player, the way that he processed is like top three that I've ever seen. Yes. Like it was unbelievable. Whether it was in gun, you can even go back and watch his like, I guess it would have been like 2018 season uh, where he was under center a lot more and he was processing really well in that. And it was like, okay, this dude is going to be ready to go right away. Right. Pickett's processing is not bad, but I have like a hard time pinning down exactly what he is um because i think all the other guys like even for as flawed as like matt corral might be his process is very like i know what i'm getting with Pickett, there are plays where he goes like one to two to three mm-hmm. and he might be a little bit late but like he goes one to two to three hits a backside dig and you're like oh that's a pro right, and right. then there's another play where he just goes like one and done and runs himself into a sack and it's like <laughs> why, why did you do that <laughs> you didn't have to do that um so i don't know his processing to me is weird which to me truthfully is why i think he probably lands it like his middle ground is like a taylor heineke ish type of player um which if that's your middle ground for a prospect it's honestly not that bad because like heineke is a top 32 quarterback Mm -hmm. i just i don't know what where the upside is so he's like if you can get honestly truthfully if you get taylor heineke at like pick 35 Mm -hmm. that's pretty good like honestly like you can do some stuff with that um and then just pray to god that he's you know a little bit better than that I, I, I always go back to Dalton and those first couple of years of Dalton when Dalton was still relatively mobile early in his career. And I think, you know, you talk about his process being this and that. One of the things you start with is he has a process. <laughs> he no, he, he pro- does have these moments where, like, to me, other like Ritter, I think, in terms of like pro stuff, is way above everyone else. Mm-hmm. Pickett is like the next step of like, okay, there are some real like translatable reps yeah. in here where you're doing pro concepts, pro throws, all that sort of jazz. Right. Right. And, and and that's it. A lot of times we will all look at these quarterbacks and be like, I don't know what he's doing, except that he's he can identify his first read and he can throw it or he can run. And and sometimes you do get guys like that. That is not pick it by any stretch of imagination. It's not really Ritter either. And I probably it's probably unfair to say that's Corral, despite all those RPOs. Um, by the way, Patrick Sealy says Pickett could be Jimmy G, and that's okay. That's kind of where we all go back to when we're just unimpressed with a quarterback, but it seems like he's kind of okay. He can be Jimmy G, and you can create a yak and sack system around them, and that's one of the things that we might see from these teams. Patrick also points out Pickett would be best in the Dome. That's Atlanta. Carolina's not a Dome, but it's usually pretty It's pretty warm down there, right? I don't live there. Oh, okay. No. Never mind. <laughs> I live in Buffalo, so it's always ah! – <laughs> What did you do? You live in Buffalo and you're rooting for the Panthers. It's a complicated process. Who hurt you? 
Well, it's not like the Bills were any good until nah, recently. So. That's true. <laughs> I just moved here like two years ago. So. Okay. I don't know why you moved to Buffalo either. I'm just, I'm just going to let that like, <laughs> slide on the coldest place in the world. It's, it's a beautiful area. I love it up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, Charlotte, weather is usually pretty nice, et cetera. Um, so I think Pickett will wind up in a team where he will not be having all three of his gloves that he wears at once now to really make that hand look good, um, uh, get too wet. Time to move on to number one. We're getting close to the witching hour at 2 o'clock here on the East Coast. And our number one quarterback is no surprise. It is Liberty's Patrick Willis. Um, obviously, smaller program guy, the high ceiling, low floor guy here. Um, I'm going to go to Derek. First of all, you're the only one who put him second. Uh, you put him uh, You put him second behind Ritter uh, in, in your case. And what was the process there? So what Malik is what Malik Willis is right now, I don't like at all. Um, I think his process is just bad, truthfully. Uh, like he doesn't really replace blitzes very well. Um, I think he just doesn't like they part of it is that the offense doesn't really target the middle of the field, but right. then they'll have concepts and instances where he can do it and then he just opts out of it and usually just ends up scrambling or something and, right. and truthfully it does make like some miracle plays outside the pocket. Um, but I just think the way that he functions over the middle of the field is not good. And what surprised me really about his process was like, he's not that aggressive to me. Like that, like when they run, just like goes down the sideline, he'll throw those. And when he's outside the pocket, he'll do some crazy stuff, Mm -hmm. but within like the structure and rhythm of an offense, he's not that aggressive. There were plenty of times where I thought to me, like safety was pinning down and he could have thrown a post. Mm -hmm. He just didn't. Um, whereas like, you know, I love Ritter because he does the opposite. He sees that safety move a half an inch and he's going. Um, so I just kind of wanted Malik Willis to be a little bit more aggressive than I never saw that. Um, tools wise, he's incredible. I mean, he's obviously, he's the best athlete. He has the best arm by a lot. Um, truthfully, he's like a really accurate thrower. Um, it's just like my issue is I don't think he gets to the right spot enough to, for you to see it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I love what Willis could be, but for me, he's just, so far away that I, I have a really tough time with that kind of prospect. Similar concerns, Natalie, or is it the traits and what you've seen? Uh, my my scouting process for quarterbacks is tool or traits over production. I, okay. I know that doesn't sound great, but the tools when you watch him are pretty amazing. Like the yeah. things he does outside of the pocket, I've it's insane. I don't think I've seen it since Josh Allen and he's not Josh Allen. He, he needs about as much work as Josh Allen, but his arm and the things he does once he's outside, look, the way he's able to sort of dump it 40 yards downfield into a, into a pocket is, is insane. I, I think you draft him for the tools. He needs to learn to play the position for sure. Like you cannot start him day one. You it won't work and you could damage him, but he's a good prospect. Like the tools that he has there are going to fit in an NFL offense. And if there's like a, 25% chance you get Josh Allen, you don't really have a choice but to take that guy. Right. I got one of the things we in the post Josh Allen reality is always looking at these traits guys and saying, what if, what if, what if we're in the past, especially those of us in the analytics community would be like, hardy, har, har, you're going to get burned. He's never going to develop. Now we've got this MVP candidate who's saying, no, there, there is a way forward with guys like this. 
and, and he's super coachable too. Like you can tell, yeah. like he learns as the game goes on. He gets better. It's just that he didn't get better enough for me to say, "Oh yeah, go pick him number two overall and go start him." You know, he just <laughs> has everything you're gonna want him to do, and he's he's gonna be a good quarterback in the NFL. I think he he's a delight to interview. He's a delight to interview. He led the nation in getting sacked. That's one problem. Um, the 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 throwing over the middle. I don't have the throwing over the middle stats, but the pressure stats are not strong for Willis. Uh, when he's throwing, not running under pressure, all kinds of goofy things happen. I, I will say for that one, the offensive line was so bad that he was. Yeah. I, I, that one I don't really chalk up to him that much, just because man, that offensive line was terrible. Right, and of course against Ole, Ole Miss, it's like okay, this is nonsense. Yeah, and like you're you're outgunned. It's like it's yeah. like uh, it's like to me that's the same as Ritter versus Alabama. Like you're just outgunned. Like what are you gonna do? Right. <laughs> if you can I, do anything, that's great. That's a cherry on top. But right. you're just outgunned here. But when it's happening against Army and Tennessee Martin, I start to I do get a little mm-hmm. like how bad could the Liberty uh, offensive line really be that we're stuck in this situation? I mean that ULM game where they were trapping every outside breaking route, and it was like, oh, they know who Malik Willis is. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, Patrick Sealy asked, all these great trait QBs are six foot two and over. Is that a concern? I'm not sure what you mean. I mean six two is kind of a minimum, and height size is a trait. Uh, so you know. My concern threshold for quarterback being too tall goes up at around six, 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 seven. That's where you get these guys who are sort of like long levered Brock Osweiler type guys. I don't think there's any concern with that for any of these quarterbacks. Well, I think he's saying Malik is under that. Oh, where like he sorry is kind of in the area where you're going to just naturally have issues seeing the middle of the field, like Baker Breeze. Um, Breeze was able to overcome it and everyone is going to say, oh, just be Drew Breeze. Well, <laughs> if it were that easy, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. He's probably going to have, I mean, that's the thing like Baker Mayfield, NFL quarterback. He still struggles seeing the middle of the field. Russell Wilson, probably going to be a hall of fame quarterback. He doesn't see the middle of the field very well. That's right. honestly, truthfully, what you're banking on with Willis is something along the lines of Russell Wilson, where it literally doesn't matter that he doesn't see the middle of the field well enough. You're just banking that his deep ball is good enough. His scrambling is good enough. His vision outside of the pocket is good enough. that It overcomes a lot of these things. And some people in Philadelphia are talking about, well, maybe we bring in Willis with Hertz. And I feel like, like Willis is just super Hertz. I mean, yeah, he's just like a, if you turned up some of the Madden sliders a little bit, yeah. you know, ah, add, add 10, to arm strength, okay, five to speed. Right. Uh, right. Leadership you know. goes up again even further. Yeah. He's like, Hurts is a leader. Willis is a leader. Yeah. Neither of them throw over the middle of the field ever. Okay, slide that back. Right, right. So I, I don't see how that would work there. Um, so when you have – I'll stick with you, Derek. You have him for the Steelers. Quarterback of the future, question mark, question mark, question mark? I think so. And the thing is, even for as much as I like uh, Ritter, I I would say the difference between whether you should take Ritter or Willis is like if you are in a position to win right now and you want to win right now, if you're Seattle, like they probably think they can kind of compete and be scrappy, especially with the NFC being weaker. I think Ritter makes way more sense. You can like play with him on a rookie contract these next two, three years. He could ride. Willis, I think it's more of like a need a stable organization. We need to give him time. I feel like Pittsburgh with Tomlin is the perfect scenario for that to happen. Similar thoughts, Natalie, or why did you pick Steelers? Um, I, I just I've gotten information that they really, oh. really, really like mm. Willis. Like they, we know they had dinner, and I think yeah. they're going to move up for him. And I think he fits. They're going to start Mitch Trubisky, uh, quarterback of the future, for the next two years. And 
let Malik Willis grow. And I think he's, he'll be a great fit for that city. Like he's, his personality fits that city. I think a lot and he'll do really good things in that offense. Interesting. I, I stuck with this sort of, I didn't have the inside information, the sort of straightforward Atlanta Falcons connection. I can see him in a play action based with rollouts and things like that in that kind of Arthur Smith, that Ryan Tannehill role. And of course he's got some connections to the city of Atlanta. So that's why I went with that. Sure. All right. We're about ready to wrap up here and I'm going to start with the at read and then I'm going to say goodbye to everybody and remind everyone that football outsiders NFL draft coverage is all presented by underdog fantasy. Use the promo code FO40. That's FO the digits four zero at underdog to double your deposit up to $100. Links underdog fantasy can be found in the description of this video below and go play with us at underdog today. Natalie, thanks for being on. Where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Nat NFL drafts. Yes. Nat underscore NFL draft. And you right. are. Sorry. Yes. And you are on the draft wire as well. On the draft wire. Yes. I do all my scouting reports over there. Excellent. And you have something up on Sam Howell this week. Folks can check out yeah. Derek. Where can everyone find you? Yeah. Everyone can find me um, at football outsiders. Of course, uh, doing the draft film room this week, like we talked about earlier, will be Desmond Ritter. And then over at Bleach Report, doing the, the front seven guys for, for the NFL draft. Excellent. And folks, you can find me back here at your favorite podcast, live stream, whatever this thing is we do uh, twice a week. On Thursday, Aaron Schatz is on vacation, which means I am in charge. And Brian Knowles is going to be on Thursday's podcast. And we're going to be talking about failed completions and successful completions and teams that out, uh, outperform their DVOA. And we're going to be talking about the Cowboys and Ben Roethlisberger. It's going to be exciting. You can also find me on Football Outsiders. You can look underneath. I'm at Mike Tanier. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Natalie, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for commenting, following us, watching along with us. See everybody on a couple of days.